And hi, everybody. I'm Brent Stafford, and welcome to another segment of RegWatch on GFN.TV. South Africa, the southernmost country on the African continent, is renowned for its great natural beauty and cultural diversity. It also has the most industrialized and technologically advanced economy in Africa overall. Yet there is one key advancement that is struggling to take hold, and that's tobacco harm reduction. Joining us today to talk THR in Africa is Dr. Pindali Shangazi, Senior Lecturer at University of Free State, and Kurt Yo, co-founder of Vaping Save My Life. Thanks to you both for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you, Brent. Dr. Shangazi, let's start with you. You have a PhD in public health focusing on smoking cessation. Please tell our viewers about what brought you to this topic and how it impacted your academic work. Um, actually, I was a board member as a drug resistance to the, uh, to the hospital. And I observed patients smoking uh, within the hospital premises. And then I decided to research on this just to find out what the barriers are to smoking cessation, because I know that no one will deliberately endanger their own health, especially when you've been diagnosed with drug resistance to be. So in my study, I interviewed both patients and staff. That was phase one of my study. And phase two was a survey that I carried out in three drug resistance TB hospitals. And patients also, uh, you know, reported that they really feel like quitting, you know, once they're diagnosed with drug resistance TB, but they did not get any practical help except for health education sessions um, that they were holding now and then in hospitals with the nursing staff. However, they could not get any practicality with regard to smoking cessation. And uh, so I've had interest in the subject of smoking cessation ever since. I would imagine, uh, doctor, that if you, have a t- if you have a TB patient, if you have TB and you're smoking, that must say something about the level of addiction and inability to quit. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does. And uh, I'm not surprised that when I actually interviewed the patients, they mentioned those barriers um, ranging from personal factors to structural factors. And under fa- uh, personal factors, they mentioned addiction-related barriers that pertain to smoking history, for instance. A number of them started smoking as teenagers. And also uh, cravings to smoke. Smoking is part of the daily routine. Most of them mentioned that within five minutes of waking up, you know, they had to have a smoke. And others have tried to quit, but failed in those attempts due to lack of, you know, practical assistance. And Kurt, you've got uh, some sad experience with quitting smoking. Tell us about Vaping Saved My Life. It's a consumer advocacy group. We know that, that you co-founded. How did you come about creating it? Thanks, Brent, and uh, thank you for inviting us. Um, 
yeah, Vaping Saved My Life was, was basically started by myself and a good friend of mine who is a vape shop owner, uh, Craig Stewart. Both of our um, struggles with smoking and, and smoking addiction, both of us had been long-term smokers. Me personally was 20, 20 years as a smoker, 20 plus years. And at the peak of my smoking habit was more than 40 cigarettes a day. And I really did struggle. Um, and even at the passing of my, my father, which was sadly the day before my planned wedding, um, even that wasn't sufficient enough for me to, to quit. Um, and then like, like Craig and myself and so many other uh, vapors in South Africa, we stumbled across these technology or this technology and within a few days had managed to quit completely. Um, but the, the, the smoking story didn't stop there. Some years later, I lost my mom to smoking as well, and she suffered from a stroke. Um, and it was that, that realization that there are so many of us that are struggling to quit smoking and watching our parents pass away, and then coming to the realization that my, my own son would experience what I had just experienced, um, that this could definitely change a lot of people's lives. And we then decided to start uh, a testimonial page on Facebook called Vaping Save My Life back in June 2017. And since then, we've gone from strength to strength, trying to share the message out there that this is definitely an alternative to people that have really tried to quit smoking but have failed. And for those people like myself that do rely on nicotine, that it is a safer alternative. And it's something that should be looked at in, in the entire South African context uh, from a smoking cessation point of view. Is there something, Kurt, that you believe could make uh, the situation in South Africa different than, say, in Canada or the U.S. when it comes to the trials and tribulations of smoking and to quit smoking? Absolutely. I think one of, one of the biggest issues that we are confronted with is an illicit trade, a really severe uh, problem in illicit trade. There are some numbers from, depending on, on the source, anywhere between 50 to 70 percent of all cigarettes consumed in South Africa is from an illicit source. These products are really cheap and really accessible from anywhere and therefore circumnavigate anything like excise and any other restrictions that are currently in our tobacco bowl. So that's a significant problem. The other problem is just we don't have um, any cessation program to speak of in South Africa. We haven't implemented anything around Article 40 apart from uh, the approval of NRTs and pharmaceutical drugs. But we do not have um, cessation clinics in South Africa, and we don't have any um, social or counselling services at our primary and secondary healthcare services. So there's no assistance for smokers in South Africa to help them quit. And I think Dr. Shungazi touched on that, is that these individuals are left on their own devices uh, with a very cheap source of tobacco. And Dr. Shangazi, do you agree with that, um, that there, you know, certainly are some challenges in, Af in South Africa that are unique to the situation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the smoking cessation programs, um, as Kurt has just mentioned, 
I am not aware of any, even while I was undertaking my study. Um, although I'm aware that there have been some trials by some researchers, you know, to use some other means of trying to determine if the population that was being studied was able to quit over a certain period of time. However, with regard to standing, um, you know, interventions or cessation clinics, there aren't any that I'm aware of. And what's surprising is that while I was researching literature and some of the policies and recommendations, when I was undertaking my study, I discovered that in South Africa, there were already published guidelines by the Department of Health on the management of people with TB in special circumstances. They were published in 2014. And they recommended inclusion of behavioral and pharmacological treatment intervention for smokers. But uh, those interventions were not available at that time. And also the pharmacists confirmed that they're not even in the essential medicine list at that time. That's amazing to hear that there is not a real formal smoking cessation program that's sponsored by the government or even like, you know, nonprofit public health groups. Let's just take a quick look here. And this is the Global Adult Tobacco Survey for South Africa from just last year. And it's not easy to get real up-to-date statistics. And it's quite amazing. Uh, Nearly 30% overall, 12.7 million adults use tobacco, 41% men and basically 18% of women. We're still talking about a lot of tobacco use. Unfortunately, we do not have a lot of research and study in this field, and we do not monitor these the smoking and smoking prevalence in South Africa uh, consistently and continuously. This is, you know, this Global Adult Tobacco Survey was the first one ever conducted in South Africa, and that's rather alarming given the fact that we had ratified with the FCTC in 2005. Just to go back to what Dr. Shogasi says, there is only one sensation clinic in the entire Republic, and that is found in Cape Town at the hospital of Grotoski, and there is no other clinic anywhere else. We don't have a toll-free helpline or quit line, and we don't offer NRTs uh, subsidized through public health at all. So this is a rather pervasive uh, issue, an alarming issue around public health in South Africa. If this is a problem, a third, almost a third of our population is smoking and there is no assistance whatsoever. How popular is uh, e-cigarettes in South Africa? Well, according to the, 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 that, that particular study you showed there, the Global Adult Tobacco Survey of South Africa, only 2.2% are current users and 62 had ever tried. The issue around South Africa is that we have probably the most unequal society in the world, is that we have an enormous um, lower class, uh, unemployed population and a very small middle class and upper class, who are the only people that can afford this kind of intervention, which is deeply alarming and sad. Um, because as Dr. Shogaz has pointed out, the majority of our smokers are, are, 
falling into lower middle, uh, lower income groups um, are generally unemployed and are stuck with addictions, not only in smoking, but around alcoholism, as well as drug abuse. Um, so there is a massive issue around this and uh, it needs an urgent, uh, it needs urgent focus on. Dr. Shangazi, I mean, what are your thoughts on THR? Clearly, if there's not even regular smoking cessation, there can't be a lot of uh, adoption of THR policies then in South Africa. Well, I would say that they do consider the issue of smoking cessation seriously. I have also seen in some of your recommendations on the treatment of conditions, you know, that that speak to smoking that patients need to be encouraged to quit smoking. Um, and there's still an ongoing debate. However, I think the lack of, you know, clinical evidence on some interventions, like for instance, tobacco harm reduction, it, it, it leads to um, policies uh, or action not being implemented immediately. So I feel that as researchers, we still need to undertake more studies, you know, just to show how much harm could be reduced by particular products that can be used by those who smoke, because it's a matter of public health to reduce harm on the health of the population. Kurt, let me ask you this. Is there a war on vaping in South Africa? Absolutely. The government wants to treat vaping and, and vapors as the same as smoking and uh, combustible tobacco and vaping. So there is no clear distinction. There's also an over-reliance on what has been provided by the World Health Organization to South Africa. And they, they in, in my view, turn a blind eye to some of the experiences that we're seeing in the UK and in other parts of the world. There is very little research around cessation in of using tobacco harm reduction products in South Africa. There is a handful of studies, but unfortunately, those studies um, are, are not really, in my opinion, um, worth worth it. And it is rather sad because South Africa is not a stranger to harm reduction. In the 90s, we had an enormous problem around HIV and AIDS. And at that stage, we had a lot of misinformation around HIV and AIDS, to such the extent that our highest leaders, president as well as our health department, denounced the fact that, in, that HIV caused AIDS. And they were promoting things like beetroot and homeopathic remedies to help these patients. It was only when civil society and social groups stood up and started combating this particular narrative that the the then president uh, did an about turn. We now do have the largest HIV AIDS uh, response in the world. We don't only do antiretrovirals, but we also provide free condoms to people in the public health service and pe people that are using the public health service. We also provide free circumcision, all in the name to reduce um, the spread uh, of HIV in the country. So harm reduction is no stranger. And I think that the government should be looking to its uh, two commercial partners to see how we can not only bring vaping into the country at a much lower price point, but look at other products like uh, nicotine pouches, 
or heat not burn products and make sure that we're looking at meeting the smoker where they are at rather than just hitting them with a blunt object around stigmatization, high, high taxes and severe restrictions. So it's not impossible. These products are nowhere near the price point that we, that we used to see with HIV and AIDS medication. Um, it is doable. South Africa has, has a new tobacco and vape bill heading to parliament. There's also uh, an excise tax on vaping products that's going to go into effect in January of 2023. What are these initiatives going to do to the vaping market, the availability of vapes, the affordability of vaping in South Africa? Brent, I think it's going to have a, a very negative effect on the on the industry as well as the vapors itself. Um, my biggest fear is that this will now go completely underground and we'll lose complete control over the situation. Um, so then we'll start looking at reduced quality and standard of these products because we will start seeing home brews and DIYs and products being imported from anywhere parts of the world. And just purely because we now understand that the illicit market is so strong within South Africa around cigarettes, there's nothing stopping them including vaping products in the same in, in, in the in the same category or the same category. And then we have something like an adulterated product, like we saw, although not not wasn't nicotine, but the Evali situation in, in North America, where there was tainted products. This could be a real risk to South Africa if we lose control around these products. And I believe that increasing this tax on a volume base, which will see more than a 116% increase on these on, on e-liquids, will force this underground and we've lost control. Dr. Shingazi? Yeah, um, I would just say that Yes, there is a high possibility of illicit cigarettes taking over, you know, due to high taxes. And uh, during my study, um, some patients mentioned that they have a cheaper cigarette they get from somewhere, that after smoking it, you know, they cough a lot. And this causes a lot of dryness on the throat, but it's the cheapest that they could get. And from the studies that I have reviewed, quite a number of those that cannot afford expensive cigarettes, they end up rolling their own. And in so doing, they add substances that may not be acceptable to have. That's one, <laughs> you know, that's one version of it. On the other hand, um, I feel that the more Research gets done with regard to how vaping assists in harm reduction to show more evidence, the better it is. If you look at harm reduction initiative with regard to HIV, even nowadays, there are still a number of clinical trials that take place. And such results convince policymakers that this actually works you know, and this is how it can be done and so on and so forth. And also there are follow-ups on participants. So I feel that if maybe the same approach 
uh, could be helpful just to show evidence to policymakers that actually the use of nicotine via vaping is completely different, you know, from actually lighting up the cigarette. And this is the evidence that it actually reduces harm because I think that's what they mostly need to show. And there are so many debates out there when it comes to smoking cessation, you know, what works, what doesn't work and so on and so forth. But the availability of evidence, I feel that we make more difference and a better influence and more understanding because that, that's where we're lacking as well, you know, more um, understanding on how vaping works in relation to Asian cigarettes. But evidence is needed as well. Thank you. Dr. Shingazi, how familiar are you with the Global Forum on Nicotine, GFN, which there was just the, the big event in Warsaw um, last June? Is that a conference that you think is important and why? Oh, yeah. Um, really impressed, you know, when attending that conference. There is so much information uh, on how nicotine works, you know, and so on and so forth. There were a number of researchers, policymakers, and so on. Um, and those from the tobacco industry, you know, trying to outline how they're trying to reduce harm. And there are quite a number of debates as well. And there were activists like Kurt, uh, whom I felt are also important role players because, you know, they are the users. They can tell us how much difference it's making on their, on their lives. Um, so, yeah, the conference was quite big and uh, important in knowledge sharing. I think it's absolutely critical. It's incredibly valuable to individuals like myself around the world who are fighting this fight on the front line um, and feel it's, it's a, a personal affront on us to, to have these products just pushed aside um, based without not taking our points into consideration, our life experiences into consideration. Um, and that's why we are and I, I, I say we, but I'm sure I can speak on behalf of many uh, consumer activists out there that we are rejected from attending or at least sharing our, 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 our experiences and our thoughts at things like COP9, where we feel that that is critical in, in the discussion and in formulating policies to ultimately get to where everybody wants to get to, and that is reduce the harm and death related to combustible tobacco.